a tax collector, a Jew, and he wrote the book to other Jews to show to them that Jesus was the true Messiah. But as he's doing that, he is also telling us about God's attributes, his character, his nature, the values, and what God expects out of us. And so as such a book, it's a good transition from the Jews of the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it has a lot of information that's good for us. And typically, the scenario goes, Jesus gives a lesson, then he gives the disciples, or as Ben is fond of saying, gives the boys a chance to see if they learn from the lesson. And very often the pattern is lesson taught, lesson received, lesson failed. And if you don't believe the failures, let's just go back a couple chapters to verse 14, starting at verse 15. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this place is desolate. The time has already passed, so send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy foods. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You, emphasis on the Greek on you, you give them something to eat. The give is given in a command. I want you to give them something to eat. So did they learn the lessons? And they said to him, we have only five loaves and two fishes. Do you remember in the story where where the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. And Mary said, how can this be? Because I've not known a man. Now there's two ways to take that. He's saying, she could have been saying, you're wrong. I can't have a child because I'm a virgin. Or she could say, hey, this is really cool. How are you gonna pull this off? And I think the same thing is here. I think Jesus was hoping the disciples would say, okay, we can do it. How do you plan to do this? But instead they said, we have only five loaves and two fish. Remember the story of Peter when Jesus commanded him to get out of the boat and walked, but he only got part way and he began to sink and he didn't have the faith. He had the faith to get out of the boat, but he didn't complete the action. And then Jesus in verse chapter 15, what enters a man, what enters into the mouth defiles the man. It's, let me start over. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth of man. Then the disciples came and said to him, did you know the Pharisees were offended with what you said? They're worried about the Pharisees. They're not worried. Do we understand the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us? And one of my favorite ones about how the disciples didn't understand is in chapter 16, verse 5. And the disciples came to the other side. So the disciples were getting in a boat, going to the other side of the lake. And it says they had forgotten to bring the bread. The emphasis is on the bread. They forgot the bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He tries to teach them a spiritual lesson. Did they understand? Well, here's the next sentence. And they began to discuss this among themselves. What did they mean? What did Jesus mean when he said this? And they said, it is because we didn't bring the bread. So they didn't understand the lessons. And we can go more and I have more for you. But the lessons typically were not learned by the disciples. And so now in chapter 17, verse 1, we have the transfiguration 
where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, and he shows them his deity. And this is the greatest lesson taught by Jesus up to this point. And the question is, are the disciples going to understand this, or are they going to fail this lesson as well? Well, the rest of chapter 17 has three lessons that are going to be taught. There's the one lesson about the demon-possessed boy. The other lesson is about Jesus' death and resurrection. And the third is a lesson about the temple tax. And in the first lesson, Jesus is already up on the mountain, and he leaves nine disciples behind. And a father comes to the boy, and he says, I want you to heal my son. He's demon-possessed. And the disciples have already been given the power. In Matthew 10, verses 1 and 8, they were given the power already to heal demons. So when this father comes to them, are they going to be able to pass this test? And the second is with Jesus' death and resurrections. There's four times that this is told about in the book of Matthew. And each time, Jesus gives them a little bit more information to follow. Are they going to understand what Jesus is saying? Are they going to accept what Jesus has to say? And the third lesson with the temple text is only directed to Peter. Now, Peter was one of the disciples at the transformation. Peter was also going to be the person on which God was going to build his church. If anybody is going to get the lesson when it comes to this, it should be Peter. And we're going to see if Peter did understand the lesson here. So as a custom at Calvary Chapel, if you're able to, if you would stand for the reading as we read. And if you can't stand, that's fine. No extra points, no better place. People who don't stand will have to get in the end of the line for the food afterwards, though. <laughs> So starting at verse 14, and when they came to the multitude, and he's talking about Jesus, they've left the mountain, they're coming down off the mountain, and when they came to the multitude, the people there surrounding this boy who was demon-possessed, a man came up to him, falling on his knees. Now the word falling on his knees is just one of pleading, one of begging. He's not falling on his knees in worship, He's just following, please, Lord. And Lord here is just a sign of respect. It's not a sign of lordship. He fell on his knees and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. Now from Luke, we know it's going to be his only son. For he's a lunatic and he's very old. For he often falls into the fire and often falls into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible for you. 
But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And while they were gathering together in the Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? tax he said to him yes and when he came into the house jesus spoke to him first saying why do you think what do you think simon from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax from their sons or from strangers and upon his saying from strangers jesus said to him consequently the sons are exempt but lest we give them offense go to the sea and throw in a hook Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a stator. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there's so many lessons to be here. We just pray that we can understand the words that need to be said and apply them to our daily life. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. The year was 1517 A.D., and that year was known for a lot of things, but I only want to bring two of them up to you. 1517 was the year that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the Castle Church in Wittenberg. In that, he was talking about the Catholic Church, and what they were teaching the people was wrong. 1517 was also the year that a Renaissance painter by the name of Raphael started painting what is thought by some people to be the greatest Renaissance painting of all time. It's called the Transformation. Three years later, when Raphael died at the unexpected age of 37, the painting was still not done. And if you look at the painting on the PowerPoint up here, <laughs> what you would see is the painting is vertical, it's not horizontal. Typically we see paintings in this direction. This one goes up and down, and immediately your eye is drawn to the top part of the painting. It has the bold light colors, it's bright, it's symmetrical, it's in the shape of a diamond, like a triangle. And at the apex of the triangle you can see Christ floating in the air, and on both sides you can see Moses and Elijah. And at the base of the pyramid, you see the three disciples, James representing faith to the Renaissance Church, Peter representing hope, and John representing love. It's very organized, it's bright, clearly to be seen, and also with those three disciples, you see two people hiding in the bushes who are thought to be the martyrs of the church. And this is the pinnacle of which man can come to know and can identify God. And then after you're done at looking the top part, your eye is drawn down to the bottom part of the painting. It's much darker. The characters are disorganized. You have the nine disciples on the left trying to heal the boy. You can see the boy being held up in the father's arms. The boy's eyes are wild. He can't stand on his own. The father is in agony. And the townspeople are behind them waiting for the disciples to cure them, to cure the boy with the demon. The curing doesn't come at that point. 
and there's confusion, and there's conflict. If you want to buy a print of this, you can. You can buy the whole print of the painting. If you want to buy just the top part of the painting, the transfiguration of Christ, you can buy that without buying the bottom. But I went on eBay to see if I could buy just the bottom part, because the top part represents man's best. The bottom part represents man's worst. And would they sell me the painting with just man's worst? And you can't buy it. It has to be the top part or all of it. And Raphael, when he painted it, these are two different stories, but he painted in one painting. You can't understand the first part unless you understand the bottom part. The boy, as we'll find out, was deaf and mute. He couldn't hear. He never heard his father say, I love you. He couldn't talk and tell his father how scared he was. He was locked into this body with a demon. In medicine, there's actually a locked in. It's where you bleed into your brain. You can't move, you can't respond to anybody, but you can hear everything that's going on and you can see everything. But you can't communicate with people. It's called locked in. And I think about that when I think about this boy. And when you look at it, the picture, and you go down, you know that these people are going to come off the mountain sometime. They're going to come down, and they're going to come down to the valley in which they see the boy. Chuck Smith said, Satan is waiting at the bottom of every hill. So let's go back to the story. I started teasing you with some of the some of the finer points. And so it says, when they came to the multitude, a man came up to him, falling on his knees, not begging, imploring, not worshiping his deity. Lord, have mercy on me, for he is a lunatic. The idea back in those days is that the moon created your emotions. Now, today we think of that in the same way. If you go into any emergency room on a full moon, they'll say, oh, it must be a full moon. All the crazies are out. He says he's very ill, he often falls into the fire. So it seems like this demon was actually trying to even kill this boy. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him, which is unusual because they were given the power to cure demons, cast them out. And Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving and perverted generation. Notice the order there, unbelieving to perversion. As you have a society or a culture that becomes less and less believing in God, what does it become? More and more perverted. You know, we see that where we're cutting off healthy parts of our children in order to make them healthy. It says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. The story is also recounted in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark gives a little bit more details, and I'd like to read that part to you. So when they came back to the disciples, we're talking about the people on the top of the mountain, they saw a large crowd of them, and some scribes arguing with them. So the scribes and Pharisees seem to be showing up pretty much everywhere, causing trouble, don't they? And immediately when the crowd saw him, they were amazed and running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing? And one in the crowd said, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit 
which makes him mute. Can't share his feelings. That's yeah. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and stiffens out. Kind of sounds like a seizure, doesn't it? Well, I'm not suggesting that everybody that has seizures has a demon, but you can get the idea of what's happening to this boy by a grand mal seizure. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation. And I love the part where he says, Bring the boy to me. Because that's what we should do with all of our troubles, isn't it? Bring the boy to me. Bring the trouble to me is what Jesus is saying. Not only to this parent, but to us as well. And going back to Matthew, And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. And the disciples came to Jesus and privately said, Why could we not cast it out? What's wrong with that sentence? The disciples said, Why can we, and in the Greek the emphasis is on the we, why could we not cast him out? Was it the power of the disciples that casted out demons? Or was it the power of Christ that cast out the demons? Were they relying on their own power? Or they were relying on Christ's power? And so in Mark, it says, They brought the boy to him, and immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And he asked, he being Jesus, asked the father, How long has he been in this condition? And the father said, since childhood. Do you think Jesus knew how long he had been in that condition? Of course he did. So why did he ask the question? You know, it's like a lawyer. If you go to a courtroom, a lawyer never asks a question of a witness unless he already knows the answer. Jesus knew the answer here. It's been since childhood. But he wanted the other people around that may not be acquainted with this person, that this had been going on for a long time. It is often thrown into the fire and water. But this is an important part. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Notice the word there, if, but if you can do something. Jesus, I've heard about you. I've heard about the miracles. I know what you've done. My son's a special case. Problem's too big for you. I'll understand. You have a problem that's too big for Jesus? You bring it and say, but if you can do this, Jesus... In chapter 8 of Matthews, there's a leper, and the leper comes up to Jesus, and he says, not if you can, the leper says, if you're willing. And that was the difference. Father didn't say, if you're willing, he said, if you can, wasn't sure of Jesus' power. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible who believe. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Do you have that feeling sometimes that you believe, but you need help with your belief? I believe God, I believe what he did on the cross, I believe he paid my penalty for sin, but help my belief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. 
And after crying and throwing out into a terrible convulsion, they came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse, they thought he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he raised him up. Matthew puts it this way. It says, And he said to him, And then the disciples came privately to Jesus and said, Why could we not cast him out? talks about having faith the size of a mustard seed. Did the disciples have faith? They were told that they could raise out demons, and they were trying to raise out demons. From that standpoint, they must have had some faith. But despite having the faith, they still weren't able to move him out. And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall move this mountain from here to there, and it shall move, for nothing shall be impossible to you. I think the disciples did have faith, but they had misplaced faith. The faith they had was in themselves to be able to remove the demon. And I think it's because they lost their belief in Jesus and that he was the power and he alone could control this, that they weren't able to remove the demon. In verse 21, now does your verse have a parenthesis around it? I do, and the parenthesis tells you that that verse is not found in some of the earlier uh, manuscripts of this. It says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Mark says, and he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So I don't think this was part of the original, but I think some scribe along the way thought it needed a little bit of clarification. Can't say that for sure. Should it be in there? Probably not. But I think this type of demon possession needs prayer with the understanding of Christ's power. There's an old saying that if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. We need to be constantly praying about the things that are affecting our lives. So let's move on to the second lesson. And the second lesson is about what Jesus was telling about the crucifixion. The first time he talked to the disciples was back in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He's talking about necessity here. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and must be killed and must be raised again from the third day. I added those last two musts in there. But he must go to Jerusalem. Here in Matthew 17, he changes it a little bit. He says, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, this is all the disciples, Jesus said to him, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the sons of men, and they will kill him. Understand, it's gone from necessity of dying to the certainty of him dying. And did the, did the disciples like that? They didn't like that. And it says, And they were greatly grieved. Did they feel that test? 
If they fully understood why Christ came to the earth, they fully understand his mission, they fully understand that the only way to save mankind was Jesus to die on the cross, do you think they would have still been grieved? I think if they understood, they would have just shook their head and said, yes, we understand, Lord. But they were grieved because they didn't understand and they failed. Two other times it talks about Christ's crucifixion. Matthew 20, 18 to 19. It says, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered up to the chief priests. They will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will scourge and crucify him. And then verse Matthew 26, 1 to 2 and 25. And it came about when Jesus had finished these words. He said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Crucifixion. And Jesus and Judas, and Judas who was betraying him said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. You have said it to yourself. You know, each time that Jesus tries to teach him a lesson when it comes to Jesus' death and crucifixion, they don't seem to be able to take all the information in at once. He has to feed it to them part way for them to understand did you ever see the movie a few good men it's a movie about a defense attorney tom cruise who is defending two soldiers two marines because there was an unintentional death in somebody they were trying to correct and the climax of the movie comes in a courthouse where Tom Cruise's defense for these two Marines accused of killing these pe this person is that he was ordered by his superior officers to do it. And so he has the superior officer on the stand, and he's yelling at him, I want the truth, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson, who plays the commanding officer who did order the code red, said, truth, you can't handle the truth. And so I wonder sometimes if we read things in the Bible, if we don't understand it, because we can't handle the truth. When it talks about what we need to do in our lives, things we need to get rid of, we don't understand because we don't want to, and we can't handle the truth at that time. And then the last lesson is about the poll tax. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? There was a tax on every male from 20 to 50 that every, well, originally it was started once in your lifetime you had to pay this tax. But as time went on, you know how taxes are, it becomes every year. And they were supposed to pay the tax. It was a two drachma tax. There was no two drachma coin. So very often they would give a shekel and the shekel would pay for two men. And it says, and upon hearing this, and upon, and upon this saying, and from strangers, oh, this wind blowing me has got me. Does your teacher, verse 24, not pay the two drachma tax? And he, this is Peter, said yes. Now there's some controversy of whether, whether or not Peter knew whether or not he did pay the tax. And when he came into the house, Peter came into the house, Jesus spoke with him, saying, what do you think, Simon, another name for Peter? From whom do kings of the earth collect customs or a poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? Well, if you're the king, you collect tax 
from strangers. The sons are exempt. And upon saying from strangers, Jesus said to him, consequently, the sons exempt. Who is exempt from the poll tax? Who is the son of God? You know, very often, Pharisees were not required to pay the poll tax. Priests were not required to pay the poll tax. Rabbis weren't. And certainly the son of God, being the son, should be exempt from paying the poll tax as well. And if Peter would have understood that Christ was the son of God, his answer to that person shouldn't have been, yes, he pays the tax. It should have been, this is Christ, the son of God. He's exempt. And then God said, but lest we give him offense, Jesus not wanting to offend somebody. Did Jesus often offend people? He did, when it was morally justified to do it. This wasn't a moral issue, so he's not going to offend anyone. Go to the sea and throw in a hook, and the first fish that comes up, when he opens his mouth, you will find a coin. Take that and give that to him for you and me. Now, there's two ways to look at this story. I just told you the one way. The other way to look at this story is, did Christ have to pay that tax? No, he didn't, but he paid it anyway. And he paid it for who? He paid it for Peter. Peter didn't have to pay the tax. Did Christ have to die? The wages of sin are death. Christ didn't... Hello? Yeah. Christ didn't sin, therefore he didn't have to die. But Christ chose to die. He chose to pay that poll tax for Peter. And so some way this is kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen in the future when Christ goes and pays the penalty for us. So, what's the lesson here? What's the conclusion? All of us, at some time in our life, will be on that mountain where God seems so real, so personal, and you never want to lose that feeling. But we're going to come down off that mountain at some point. That's guaranteed. You have to leave the mountain. And what's going to happen when you leave the mountain? What happened to Moses when he left his mountain? He found the people with an idol, worshiping idols. So what is going to happen is whether or not when you come down off that mountain, what your reaction is going to be. Are you going to learn the lesson or are you going to fail it? How are you going to negotiate that valley? Are there any ways that you can reduce your chances of failing when you come down off the mountain? I think the last part of chapter 17 gives us three ways we can reduce our chances. The first way, just like the boy that wed, that had the demon, it's going to be prayer. Understand that when you pray, the power comes from Christ. It doesn't come from you. And all things be in prayer as you go through the valley. The second thing is realize what Jesus has done for you. Realize the crucifixion, the resurrection, the Christ paid for you. And the third thing with the poll tax, realize who Christ is. He's the person that doesn't have to pay that poll tax because he is the son of God. And if you can be in prayer, if you can remember that your debt has been paid through crucifixion, and you can remember that Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, then I think you've learned the lessons of chapter 24.
So if we could have the uh, worship team come back up here, we'll finish in a song. It's a longer trip for him than in the church. You see, BJ's my hero. He jumped up without having to use the step. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll pray for the food and we'll pray for the, the lesson that we learned today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, as we get prepared for the food, we thank you for the food and the people that prepared it. We just pray that you'll bless the food to us in good fellowship. And Father, our prayer after the lesson today is... The, the same prayer that the father had for his son when he brought his son to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I do believe, but help my unbelief. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.